0: Section 19 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 1 by James Boswell. Section 19. Dr. Adams expostulated with Johnson and suggested that his not being admitted when he called on him was probably not to be imputed to Lord Chesterfield, for his lordship had declared to Dodsley that he would have turned off the best servant he ever had, if he had known that he denied him to a man who would have always been more than welcome. And in confirmation of this he insisted on Lord Chesterfield's general affability and easiness of access, especially to literary men. "'Sir,' said Johnson, "'that is not Lord Chesterfield. He is the proudest man this day existing.' No, said Dr. Adams, there is one person at least as proud. I think by your own account you are the prouder man of the two. But mine, replied Johnston instantly, was defensive pride. This, as Dr. Adams well observed, was one of those happy turns for which he was so remarkably ready. Johnson, now having explicitly avowed his opinion of Lord Chesterfield, did not refrain from expressing himself concerning that nobleman with pointed freedom this man said he i thought had been a lord among wits but i find he is only a wit among lords and when his letters to his natural son were published he observed that they teach the morals of a whore and the manners of a dancing master note that collection of letters cannot be vindicated from the serious charge of encouraging in some passages one of the vices most destructive to the good order and comfort of society which his lordship represents as mere fashionable gallantry, and in others of inculcating the base practice of dissimulation, and recommending, with disproportionate anxiety, a perpetual attention to external elegance of manners. But it must at the same time be allowed that they contain many good precepts of conduct, and much genuine information upon life and manners, very happily expressed, and that there was considerable merit in paying so much attention to the improvement of one who was dependent upon his lordship's protection. It has probably been exceeded in no instance by the most exemplary parent, and though I can by no means approve of confounding the distinction between lawful and illicit offspring, which is, in effect, insulting the civil establishment of our country, to look no higher, I cannot help thinking it laudable to be kindly attentive to those of whose existence we have, in any way, been the cause. Mr. Stanhope's character has been unjustly represented as diametrically opposed to what Lord Chesterfield wished him to be. He has been called dull, gross, and awkward, but I knew him at Dresden, when he was envoy to that court, and though he could not boast of the graces, he was in truth a sensible, civil, well-behaved man. End of note The character of a respectable Hottentot, in Lord Chesterfield's letters, has been generally understood to be meant for Johnson, and I have no doubt that it was. But I remember when the literary property of those letters was contested in the Court of Session in Scotland, and Mr. Henry Dundas, one of the counsel for the proprietors, read this character as an exhibition of Johnson, Sir David Dalrymple, Lord Hales, one of the judges maintained with some warmth that it was not intended as a portrait of johnson but of a late noble lord distinguished for obtruse science i have heard johnson himself talk of the character and say that it was meant for george lord littleton which i could by no means agree for his lordship had nothing of that violence which is a conspicuous feature in the composition finding my illustrious friend could bear to have it supposed that it might be meant for him I said laughingly that there was one trait which unquestionably did not belong to him. He throws his meat anywhere but down his throat. Sir, said he, Lord Chesterfield never saw me eat in his life. On the sixth of March came out Lord Bolingbroke's works, published by Mr. David Mallet. The wild and pernicious ravings, under the name of philosophy, which were thus ushered into the world, gave great offense to all well-principled men. Johnson, hearing of their tendency, which nobody disputed, was roused with a just indignation, and pronounced this memorable sentence upon the noble author and his editor. Sir, he was a scoundrel and a coward, a scoundrel for charging a blunderbuss against religion and morality, a coward because he had not resolution to fire it off himself, but let half a crown to a beggarly Scotchman to draw the trigger after his death. Garrick, who I can attest from my own knowledge, had his mind seasoned with pious reverence, and sincerely disapproved of the infidel writings of several, whom in the course of his almost universal gay intercourse with men of eminence he treated with external civility, distinguished himself upon this occasion. Mr. Pelham, having died on the very day on which Lord Bolingbroke's works came out, he wrote an elegant ode on his death, beginning, Let others hail the rising sun, I bow to that whose course is run. In which is the following stanza? The same sad morn to church and state, So for our sins t'was fixed by fate. A double stroke was given, black as the whirlwinds of the north. St. John's fell genius issued forth, and Pelham fled to heaven. Johnson this year found an interval of leisure to make an excursion to Oxford, for the purpose of consulting the libraries there. Of this, and of many interesting circumstances concerning him, during a part of his life when he conversed but little with the world, I am enabled to give a particular account, by the liberal communication of the Reverend Mr. Thomas Wharton, who obligingly furnished me with several of our common friend's letters, which he illustrated with notes. These I shall insert in their proper places. To the Reverend Mr. Thomas Wharton, Sir, it is but an ill return for the book with which you were pleased to favor me to have delayed my thanks for it till now. I am too apt to be negligent, but I can never deliberately show my disrespect to a man of your character, and I now pay you a very honest acknowledgment for the advancement of the literature of our native country. You have shown to all who shall hereafter attempt the study of our ancient authors the way to success, by directing them to the perusal of the books which those authors had read. Of this method Hughes and men much greater than Hughes seem never to have thought. The reason why the authors, which are yet read, of the sixteenth century are so little understood, is that they are read alone, and no help is borrowed from those who lived with them or before them. Some part of this ignorance I hope to remove by my book, which now draws towards its end, but which I cannot finish to my mind without visiting the libraries at Oxford, which I therefore hope to see in a fortnight. I know not how long I shall stay or where I shall lodge, but I shall be sure to look for you at my arrival, and we shall easily settle the rest." I am, dear sir, your most obedient, etc., Sam Johnson. London, July 16th, 1754. Of his conversation while at Oxford at this time, Mr. Wharton preserved and communicated to me the following memorial, which, though not written with all the care and attention which that learned and elegant writer bestowed on those compositions which he intended for the public eye, is so happily expressed in an easy style, that I should injure it by any alteration when johnson came to oxford in seventeen fifty four the long vacation was beginning and most people were leaving the place this was the first time of his being there after quitting the university the next morning after his arrival he wished to see his old college pembroke i went with him he was highly pleased to find all the college servants which he had left there still remaining particularly a very old butler, and expressed great satisfaction at being recognized by them, and conversed with them familiarly. He waited on the master, Dr. Radcliffe, who received him very coldly. Johnson at least expected that the master would order a copy of his dictionary, now near publication, but the master did not choose to talk on the subject, never asked Johnson to dine, nor even to visit him, while he stayed at Oxford." After we had left the lodgings, Johnson said to me, There lives a man who lives by the revenues of literature, and will not move a finger to support it. If I come to live at Oxford, I shall take up my abode at Trinity. We then called on the Reverend Mr. Meek, one of the fellows, and of Johnson's standing. Here was a most cordial greeting on both sides. On leaving him, Johnson said, I used to think Meek had excellent parts when we were boys together at the college, but alas, lost in a convent's solitary gloom. I remember, at the classical lecture in the hall, I could not bear Meek's superiority, and I tried to sit as far from him as I could, that I might not hear him construe. As we were leaving the college, he said, Here I translated Pope's Messiah. Which do you think is the best line in it? My own favorite is Vallis Aromilicus Fundant seronica Nubis. I told him I thought it a very sonorous hexometer. I did not tell him it was not in the Virgilian style. He much regretted that his first tutor was dead, for whom he seemed to retain the greatest regard. He said, I once had a whole morning sliding in Christchurch meadow, and missed his lecture in logic. After dinner he sent for me to his room. I expected a sharp rebuke for my idleness, and went with a beating heart. When we were seated he told me he had sent for me to drink a glass of wine with him, and to tell me he was not angry with me for missing his lecture. This was, in fact, a most severe reprimand. Some more of the boys were then sent for, and we spent a very pleasant afternoon. Besides Mr. Meek, there was only one other fellow of Pembroke now resident. From both of whom Johnson received the greatest civilities during this visit, and they pressed him very much to have a room in the college in the course of this visit, seventeen fifty four Johnson and I walked three or four times to Ellsfield, a village beautifully situated about three miles from Oxford, to see Mr. Wise Radclian librarian, with whom Johnson was much pleased at this place. Mr. Wise had fitted up a house and gardens in a singular manner, but with great taste. Here was an excellent library, particularly a valuable collection of books in northern literature, with which Johnson was often very busy. One day Mr. Wise read to us a dissertation which he was preparing for the press, entitled, A History and Chronology of the Fabulous Ages. Some old divinities of Thrace, related to the Titans, and called the Kabiri, made a very important part of the theory of this piece. And in conversation afterwards, Mr. Wise talked much of his Kabiri. As we returned to Oxford in the evening, I out walked Johnson, and he cried out, Sufiamina, a Latin word which came from his mouth with peculiar grace, and was as much to say, Put on your drag chain. Before we got home, I again walked too fast for him, and now he cried out, why, you walk as if you were pursued by all the Kabiri in a body. In an evening we frequently took long walks from Oxford into the country, returning to supper. Once, in our way home, we viewed the ruins of the abbeys of Osney and Ruli, near Oxford. After at least half an hour's silence, Johnson said, I viewed them with indignation. We had, then, a long conversation on Gothic buildings, and in talking of the form of old halls he said in these halls the fireplace was anciently always in the middle of the room till the whigs removed it on one side about this time there had been an execution of two or three criminals at oxford on a monday soon afterwards one day at dinner i was saying that mr swinton the chaplain of the jail and also a frequent preacher before the university a learned man but often thoughtless and absent preached the condemnation sermon on repentance before the convicts on the preceding day, Sunday, and that, in the close, he told his audience that he should give them the remainder of what he had to say on the subject the next Lord's Day, upon which one of our company, a doctor of divinity, and a plain matter-of-fact man, by way of offering an apology for Mr. Swinton, gravely remarked that he had probably preached the same sermon before the university. "'Yes, sir,' says Johnson, "'but the university were not to be hanged the next morning. I forgot to observe before that when he left Mr. Meek, as I have told above, he added, "'About the same time of life Meek was left behind at Oxford to feed on a fellowship, and I went to London to get my living. Now, sir, see the difference of our literary characters.'" The following letter was written by Dr. Johnson to Mr. Chambers of Lincoln College, soon afterwards sir robert chambers one of the judges in india to mr chambers of lincoln college dear sir the commission which i delayed to trouble you with at your departure i am now obliged to send you and beg that you will be so kind as to carry it to mr wharton of trinity to whom i should have written immediately but that i know not if he be yet come back to oxford in the catalogue of manuscript of great britain See Volume 1, page 18, Manuscript Vottle Martyrium, Martyrium sub Juliaco Actore theophylacto It is desired that Mr. Wharton will inquire and send word what will be the cost of transcribing this manuscript. Volume 2, page 32, number one thousand twenty-two, fifty-eighth column, No. Commentaria in Acta Apostol, comment in Septum Apostolus Catholicus. He is desired to tell what is the age of each of these manuscripts, and what it will cost to have a transcript of the first two pages of each. If Mr. Wharton be not in Oxford, you may try if you can get it done by anybody else, or stay till he comes, according to your own convenience. It is for an Italian literato. The answer is to be directed to His Excellency Mr. Zahn, Venetian resident Soho Square." I hope, dear sir, that you do not regret the change of London for Oxford. Mr. Beretti is well, and Miss Williams, and we shall all be glad to hear from you, whenever you shall be so kind to write to, Sir, your most humble servant, Sam Johnson, November twenty-first, 1754. The degree of Master of Arts, which, it has been observed, could not be obtained for him at an early period of his life, was now considered as an honor of considerable importance in order to grace the title-page of his dictionary, and his character in the literary world being, by this time, deservedly high, his friends thought that, if proper exertions were made, the University of Oxford would pay him the compliment. To the Reverend Mr. Thomas Wharton, Dear Sir, I am extremely obliged to you and to Mr. Wise for the uncommon care which you have taken of my interest. If you can accomplish your kind design, I shall certainly take me a little habitation among you. The books which I promised to Mr. Wise I have not been able to procure, but I shall send him a Finnick dictionary, the only copy, perhaps, in England, which was presented to me by a learned Swede, but I keep it back that it may make a set of my own books of the new edition, with which I shall accompany it more welcome. You will assure him of my high gratitude. Poor dear Collins! Would a letter give him any pleasure? I have a mind to write." I am glad of your hindrance in your Spenserian design, yet I would not have it delayed. Three hours a day stolen from sleep and amusement will produce it. Let a servitor transcribe the quotations, and interleave them with references to save time. This will shorten the work and lessen the fatigue. Can I do anything to promoting the diploma? I would not be wanting to cooperate with your kindness, of which, whatever be the effect, I shall be, dear sir, your Most Obliged, etc., Sam Johnson, London, November twenty eighth, 1754. To the same, Dear Sir, I am extremely sensible of the favor done me, both by Mr. Wise and yourself. The book cannot, I think, be printed in less than six weeks, nor probably so soon, and I will keep back the title-page for such an insertion as you seem to promise me. Be pleased to let me know what money I shall send you for bearing the expense of the affair, and I will take care that you may have it ready at your hand. I had lately the favor of a letter from your brother, with some account of poor Collins, for whom I am much concerned. I have a notion that, by very great temperance, or more properly, abstinence, he may yet recover. There is an old English and Latin book of poems by Barclay, called The Ship of Fools, at the end of which are a number of eclogues, so he writes from Eglogia which are probably the first in our language. If you cannot find the book, I will get Mr. Dodsley to send it you. I shall be extremely glad to hear from you again, to know if the affair proceeds. I have mentioned it to none of my friends for fear of being laughed at for my disappointment. You know poor Mr. Dodsley has lost his wife. I believe he is much affected. I hope he will not suffer so much as I yet suffer for the loss of mine. Greek Omoi ti diomoi gar peponothem I have ever since seemed to myself broken off from mankind a kind of solitary wanderer in the wild of life without any direction or fixed point of view a gloomy gazer on a world to which I have little relation yet i would endeavor by the help of you and your brother to supply the want of closer union by friendship and I hope to have long the pleasure of being, dear sir, most affectionately yours, Sam Johnson. London, December twenty-first, 1754. 1755. Etat 46. In 1755 we behold him to great advantage. His degree of Master of Arts conferred upon him, his dictionary published, his correspondence animated, his benevolence exercised. To the Reverend Mr. Thomas Wharton dear sir i wrote to you some weeks ago but i believe i did not direct accurately and therefore know not whether you had my letter i would likewise write to your brother but i know not where to find him i now begin to see land after having wandered according to mr warbutton's phrase in this vast sea of words what reception i shall meet with on the shore i know not whether the sound of bells and acclamations of the people which Ariosto talks of in his last canto, or a general murmur of dislike, I know not, whether I shall find upon the coast a calypso that will court, or a polypheme that will resist. But if polypheme comes, have it as I. I hope, however, the critics will let me be at peace, for though I do not much fear their skill and strength, I am a little afraid of myself, and would not willingly feel so much ill-will in my bosom, as literary quarrels are apt to excite. Mr. Baretti is about a work for which he is in great want of crescent Benny, which you may have again when you please. There is nothing considerable done or doing among us here. We are not perhaps as innocent as villagers, but most of us seem to be as idle. I hope, however, you are busy and should be glad to know what you are doing. I am dearest sir, your humble servant sam johnson london february fourth seventeen fifty five to the same. Dear sir, I received your letter this day, with a great sense of the favor that has been done me, for which I return my most sincere thanks, and entreat you to pay Mr. Wise such returns as I ought to make for so much kindness so little deserved. I sent Mr. Wise the lexicon, and afterwards wrote to him, but know not whether he had either the book or the letter. Be so good as to contrive to inquire. But why does my dear Mr. Wharton tell me nothing of himself? Where hangs the new volume? Can I help? Let not the past labour be lost for want of a little more. But snatch what time you can from the hall and the pupils and the coffee house and the parks, and complete your design. I am, dear sir, and etc. Sam Johnson, February 4th, 1755. To the same, dear sir, I had a letter last week from Mr. Wise, but have yet heard nothing from you, nor know in what state my affair stands of which I beg you to inform me, if you can, to-morrow by the return of the post. Mr. Wise sends me word that he has not had the Finnick lexicon yet, which I sent some time ago, and if he has it not, you must inquire after it. However, do not let your letters stay for that. Your brother, who is a better correspondent than you, and not much better, sends me word that your pupils keep you in college, but do they keep you from writing, too? Let them at least give you time to write to, dear sir, your most affectionate and etc., Sam Johnson, London, February 13, 1755. To the same, dear sir, Dr. King was with me a few minutes before your letter. This, however, is the first instant in which your kind intentions to me have ever been frustrated. I have now the full effect of your care and benevolence, and am far from thinking it a slight honor or a small advantage since it will put the enjoyment of your conversation more frequently in the power of, dear sir, your most obliged and affectionate Sam Johnson. P.S. I have enclosed a letter to the Vice-Chancellor, which you will read, and if you like it, seal and give it him. London, February 1755. As the public will doubtless be pleased to see the whole progress of this well-earned academic honor, I shall insert the Chancellor of Oxford's letter to the University, The diploma and johnson's letter of thanks to the vice chancellor to the reverend dr huddlesford vice chancellor of the university of oxford to be communicated to the heads of houses and proposed in convocation mr vice chancellor and gentlemen mr samuel johnson who was formerly of pembroke college having very eminently distinguished himself by the publication of a series of essays excellently calculated to form the manners of the people and in which the cause of religion and morality is everywhere maintained by the strongest powers of argument and language, and who shortly intends to publish a dictionary of the English tongue, formed on a new plan, and executed with the greatest labor and judgment, I persuade myself that I shall act agreeably to the sentiments of the whole university, in desiring that it may be proposed in convocation, to confer on him the degree of Master of Arts by diploma, to which I readily give my consent and am, Mr. Vice-Chancellor and Gentleman, your affectionate friend and servant, Eran. Grosvenor Street, February 4, 1755. Term Seti, Hilari, 1755. Diploma, Magistri Johnson. A note from your reader. The diploma is here entirely in Latin, which I do not read. It is signed, Dr. Huddlesford, the Academic Vice-Chancellor of Oxford, and dated February twentieth, seventeen 1755 of Oxford. Here also is included Dr. Johnson's acceptance letter, also entirely in Latin. End note. To the Reverend Mr. Thomas Wharton, dear sir, after I received my diploma, I wrote to you a letter of thanks, with a letter to the Vice-Chancellor, and sent another to Mr. Wise, but have heard from nobody since, and begin to think myself forgotten. It is true I sent you a double letter, and you may fear an expensive correspondent, but I would have taken it kindly if you had returned it treble. And what is a double letter to a petty king that, having fellowship and fines, can sleep without a modus in his head? Dear Mr. Wharton, let me hear from you and tell me something I care not what, so I hear it but from you. Something I will tell you. I hope to see my dictionary bound and lettered next week. Vasta mole superbus. And I have a great mind to come to Oxford at Easter, but you will not invite me. Shall I come uninvited or stay here, where nobody perhaps would miss me if I went? a hard choice, but such is the world, to dear sir yours etc sam johnson london march twenty seventeen fifty five to the same dear sir, though not to write when a man can write so well is an offence sufficiently heinous, yet I shall pass it by. I am very glad that the Vice-Chancellor was pleased with my note. I shall impatiently expect you at London that we may consider what to do next. I intend in the winter to open a bibliothèque, and remember that you are to subscribe a sheet a year. Let us try likewise if we cannot persuade your brother to subscribe another. My book is now coming in luminous auras. What will be its fate I know not, nor think much, because thinking is to no purpose. It must stand the censure of the great vulgar and the small, of those that understand it, and that understand it not. But in all this I suffer not alone. Every writer has the same difficulties, and perhaps every writer talks of them more than he thinks. You will be pleased to make my compliments to all my friends, and be so kind at every idle hour as to remember, dear sir, yours, etc., Sam Johnson. London, March twenty-fifth, 1755. "'Dr. Adams told me that this scheme of a bibliothèque was a serious one, "'for upon his visiting him one day he found his parlour floor "'covered with parcels of foreign and English literary journals, "'and he told Dr. Adams he meant to undertake a review. "'How, sir,' said Dr. Adams, "'can you think of doing it alone? "'All branches of knowledge must be considered in it. "'Do you know mathematics? "'Do you know natural history?' "'Johnson answered, "'Why, sir, I must do as well as I can.' "'My chief purpose is to give my countrymen a view "'of what is doing in literature upon the continent, "'and I shall have, in a good measure, "'the choice of my subject, "'for I shall select such books as I best understand.' "'Dr. Adams suggested that as Dr. Madi "'had just then finished his Bibliothèque Britannique, "'which was a well-executed work, "'giving foreigners an account of British publications, "'he might with great advantage assume him as an assistant.' "'He,' said Johnson, the little black dog I'd throw him into the Thames. The scheme, however, was dropped. End of section nineteen